Welcome to the Gathering at Adel. Today we are continuing our series, How to Pray. We look at Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Uh, you know, we're, we're in Matthew chapter 6, uh, the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray, and uh, we need to learn from that. So verse 9, it says, therefore, you should pray like this, our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and do not bring us in temptation but deliver us from the evil one jesus ends his teaching on prayer to the the disciples with these words and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus uses these words to end this prayer for a reason. It's to awaken us to the spiritual realities that are going on all around us. Last week we talked about that we are in a spiritual world, we are in a spiritual war, that we have an adversary, but that our ally is greater. You see that Jesus, when he ends the prayer with this, and bring us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. He's awakening us to what's going on around us, which is more real than what's in front of you now. The spiritual realm is more real than that chair that is right there. And that doesn't make sense to our earthly and our natural minds, but it is more real because that chair will have a beginning and an end. In the spiritual world, our God, the Alpha, the Omega, has no beginning and he will have no end. And so Jesus, when he prays this and he's teaching his disciples to pray, once again, this is not just a prayer that's to be recited uh, as we have see you at the pole or as we gather together with our football team, our basketball team, and we gather together. It was never meant to be a prayer that we just recite and we lose the power that was in there. Because when we equate Jesus' words to just a form and just a, a repetition, just a regurgitation of his words, we lose the power that he had for it. He intended it to be the concepts. And so when he prays and he teaches us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but to deliver us from the evil one. He's teaching us, awaken to what's going on around us. And here's the thing, in this world, we will be tempted in many ways and many times every single day. You are not exempt from temptations and trials and troubles as a Christ follower. If anything, they are ramped up even more because the enemy hates you and he despises you. He will do everything he can do to distract you. He will do everything he can to destroy you. And ultimately, he will do everything he can to kill you because that is his goal and his purpose. And so what I want to say to you today Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, is that we want to be awakened to what's going on around us. And honestly, our temptations, what's going on around us is the stakes are so much higher than what we want to give them credit for. You see that the enemy doesn't want to just take you out, but he wants to take out your spouse, he wants to take out your kids, and he wants to take out the future generations. You see that whatever you struggle with, whatever temptation you face, we like to think that it's just about us, but it's really about so much more than us. You see that, that Jeff, I, I like Dr. Pepper, okay? Can I, I'll just admit that to you. I, like, I like, like I like Dr. Pepper like 10 Dr. Peppers a day like Dr. Pepper, okay? If, if I had my choice, I would drink 10 Dr. Peppers a day and 
I do. Most of the days I do. So, uh, and Richard said, amen. Thank you, Richard. That's why we're buddies. But honestly, when, when we look at my temptation, and as I make light of it myself, but when we look at that, that temptation is not just my struggle. You see, because the enemy, if the enemy can get me to struggle with Dr. Pepper and get me hooked and addicted on Dr. Pepper, then all of a sudden he can show my kids that that is an acceptable behavior when it is not. It is not. Ollie, Hattie, Max, Alexa, whoever else are my kids over there, Kendall, Noah, right? It is not an acceptable behavior. But if he can get me to drink it like that, if he can get me to not eat fruits and vegetables, if he can get me to not treat my body as a temple of the Holy Spirit, and I think that it's just about me, but what it's really about is about the future generations. Not only is it about the future generations, but if he can get me to eat like that, then that means that all of a sudden I'm more susceptible to cancer. I'm more susceptible to leaving my family abandoned and without a way to provide because my struggle is not just me. The stakes are much higher and we want to minimize our struggles as just us because if it's just us, then we can say, well, it's okay because it's just me. It doesn't affect anybody else. I can, ha I can struggle with alcohol because it's just me. It doesn't affect me when it is an absolute lie from the pit of hell that alcoholism not only affects you, it affects your budget within, which then now I mean, means that you can't live generously and open-handed because you can't give to your neighbor as you're supposed to because you're too worried about yourself. And so we have to believe that the stakes are much higher. The way that I speak to my spouse is not just about me and her relationship. It's about sowing into my family, into my kids, and into my church, into my neighbors, what a godly husband and wife looks like. Because we never know that when, when they see me speak to my wife in a loving and a caring manner, we never know what couple is going to overhear us that is on the verge of divorce and separation. And all of a sudden, we can spark hope into them. Because our struggle is not just about us. It's about us being able to speak and spark hope into other people. You see that when, when I spend my money, when, when I sit down with my wife and we do our budget and we figure out how we're going to spend our money this month, our struggle is not just about us and our budget and our monthly finances. Our struggle is, are we going to trust God to provide? And are we going to set aside room in our budget so that we can be a blessing to other people? Am, am I going to be willing to give up my 10 Dr. Peppers a day so that at the drop of a hat, if the Lord says, hey, you know what? I need you to give $300 to this person. I am more willing and ready to do it because I have the ability to, because I have chosen to get rid of that habit. The way that I entertain myself, the movies that I watch, it's not just about me. The, the things that I look at on the internet, it's not just about me. It's not the struggle. It's not just about me. It's about the future generations. You see that when we allow ourselves, and I'll talk mainly to guys at this point, but it's not just a guy thing, but when we allow ourselves to be entertained by something that's inappropriate on the internet, it's not just about you and your private struggle. It's about the future generations. It's about teaching your sons to look at women not as objects, but as created in the image of the Father has not to be used by men for their pleasures, but to be enjoyed because of who they are, not what they can do.
You see that, that our struggle with inappropriate things and images on the internet is not just about you. The, the Lord does not want you free just so that you can be free. He wants you to be free so that you can shout it from the rooftops. So you can teach your kids what women are for and how they are your helpmate, how they are the greatest thing that God gave man. He looked at them and said, it is not good for man to be alone. And what did he give us? It was not a PlayStation 5. It was a woman. It was not Dr. Pepper. It was a woman. You see that when all of a sudden when we struggle with inappropriate images, then all of a sudden we lose the appreciation for God's gift and God's creation. And so your struggles are not just about you. So when we deal with temptation, when we talk about temptations today, I want you to know that it's not just about you. The enemy is after you, your spouse, your kids, and your future generations because he despises you. But the goodness of God is all for you. John 16, says that in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart for I have overcome the world. You will face trials and temptations and trouble that is a fact. We're not exempt for that. If anything, it's been ratcheted up on us because if he can get a godly man to fall, man, imagine how many he can make fall. I know we're a small church, but if he can get me to fall, what can he do to the rest of you? He can cause doubt. He can cause hurt and pain that beat through me and he can get all of you to fall. Why, why do we have to be very careful how bad we talk about these big fancy uh, preachers that have big mega churches and they're on TV? Are they perfect? Absolutely not. But we need to be careful instead of talking bad about them. Why don't we pray for them? Because, yeah, maybe they're not preaching the gospel that we like or that we know or we're comfortable with. But if they're preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified, that's all Paul said that we need to do. And so maybe they don't open up their Bible every Sunday. I get it. But you know what? If he can bring down somebody big and powerful like that, then he can cause 50, 60, 70,000 people to fall away from the gospel. So we have to be praying for our people in charge. So we're not exempt from the temptations. If he can get a father, dads, this is you. If he can get a dad to fall, he can get the entire family to fall. You have a mantle that you carry. It's a big burden that weighs on you, but you have to stand firm. And we're going to look through that. First Peter chapter 5, 8. So we're going to go. What does it look like to stand firm in the midst of trials and temptations? We're going to pull this right out of 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. How do we stand firm? How do we fight temptation? 1 Peter 5, verse 8, it says, Be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Verse 9 says, Resist him, firm in the faith knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. And then verse 10, it says, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. Verse 11, to him be dominion forever. Amen. If you ever gonna stand a chance against temptation, it starts by being sober-minded by being alert. Sober-minded means to be well-balanced, self-disciplined, calm and collected in spirit. 
I think the best picture right there is that well-balanced. We've all seen the sobriety test, or, or maybe we've been administered a sobriety test, but we've all seen they're not always well-balanced. But that's what he's saying. And, and you know, be sober-minded, be well-balanced. You know, I think that the, he talks about it in Ephesians chapter 6 when he's talking about uh, putting on the full armor of God. You know what he starts off with? He's like, Get your feet set, gird your loins, right? That's the same concept that he's talking right there. Be sober-minded, be alert, be cautious, be vigilant, keep watch, to keep awake, to be active in those things. I think sometimes our biggest thing is like to be sober-minded and be alert means to not be sit, not sit back and wait. To be alert means to be active. That, that in, in the Greek, that verb is a, active tense. Alert doesn't mean, okay, well, we'll just sit, you know, we'll sit by the door and hold the baseball bat and wait for the intruder to come in. No, alert means to be up and active. This means that you are to be prepared before temptation even comes at you. You cannot wait to pray when tragedy strikes. You cannot wait to dust off the Bible when temptation comes. At that point, it's already too late. You're going to give in to the temptation. We don't pray so that when tragedy happens, so that God will deliver us. The purpose of prayer is to be praying every day. It says pray continually, always be at prayer, so that when tragedy comes, we're not shaken. Because through prayer, we learn the heart of the Father. Through prayer, we see the goodness of God. That through prayer, we hear his plans and his purposes for us. He, he restores hope and he gives us excitement. He gives us faith. So that, that all of a sudden when a tragedy comes, we're already prayed up. If you wait for tragedy to come before you pray, you're gonna be frustrated with God because you're not gonna see the result that you want. You're going to be like, well, Lord, I prayed. Yeah. After it already kicked you in the teeth. To be sober-minded, to be alert, means that we're praying and we're staying ready. The Bible says to be ready in season and out of season. So, so the purpose of prayer is not for to call out to God to come and save you, but it's to walk in fellowship and communion with him so that when tragedy happens, you don't doubt who he is. When, when you lose a baby... You don't spend years of your life going, God, why, why, why? God, I thought you were good because you've built up in your bank the goodness of God and you go, hey, it's okay. I don't understand it. But I do know that he loves me. He's good. His goodness knows no bounds. His faithfulness, he's faithful for generations. But if you're not prayed up when that moment hits, when that tragedy strikes, it's too late. You can't wait to open up your Bible when you're tempted to look for a solution. You, you have to pull out the word daily. To be alert doesn't mean you sit by the door waiting for something to happen. To be alert means to be in his word daily. And, and I can't tell you, is, is that one verse? Is that three verses? Is that a chapter? I, I can't tell you what that is. But what I can tell you is be in the word daily because I can promise you time and time again, when I'm in the word, then all of a sudden something will happen to me or happen to somebody. And all of a sudden it's like, 
I know this sounds crazy, but I was just in that today. And all of a sudden now, instead of earthly and worldly wisdom that we have to offer those around us, we actually have the word of God. Instead of, oh, I don't know, this sounds good. You can say, man, it's weird. I was just reading the word of God and, and, and here's what it says. And you can pull right to it and not have to try to recall, okay, three years ago, I read something about, no, to be, to be alert means to be active, to be on guard. So what I'm saying to you, if you're going to fight temptation, if you're going to overcome temptation, if you're going to live the life of freedom that he's promised you, you have to be sober-minded and you have to be alert. You see that when Jesus was tempted in Matthew chapter 4, do you know that the only way, the only thing that he used to defeat the enemy was the word of God. When, when temptation comes, the best thing to use is the word of God. Because the enemy is a liar, but the truth will set you free. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And the spirit of the tr- uh, and, and truth will set you free. You see that we need the word of God because when the enemy comes against you and says that you're worthless, that you're no good, that that you're all by yourself, that no one else is struggling with this, no one else is gonna understand this. If you're not in the word and not getting the truth, then you won't know that the enemy's a liar. If you don't know the truth, then you don't know what a lie is. Have you ever thought about that? Somebody can tell you a random fact, and if you don't know that it's not true, then you think that, that it's true. We get it all the time with our kids. They'll come home, and they'll hear something from one of their friends, and they're like, hey, dad, did you know that clouds are something? I'm like, bro, that's not right. Who told you that? And he's like, oh, Nick said that. Okay, well, Nick needs to go back to science class. You know, like, but, but we hear it all the time, and people will tell us all the time. Oh, this, this, and this. And you're like, I never knew that. That's because it was false, you know? But the only way that you can combat that is if you have the truth. The only way to have the truth is to be in the truth. That's it. The, the, it says that he will recall everything back to our memory for the proper time when we need it. But did you know that he cannot recall something back to memory that was never there in the first place? I know there are miracles and the spirit is good and the Holy Spirit is gracious, but let's not depend on those times. Let that be the exception, not the rule. He can only recall back to your memory what you've put into your memory. If you want to fight the devil with the word of God, you've got to put it in you. And so once again, I cannot tell you how much, how whatever depth, but I can tell you every day. There's a saying that those who fail to plan, plan to fail. I think we've all heard that saying before. Those who fail to plan, plan to fail. If you're just sitting back with no plan, just like going about your life, the devil's going to kick you in your teeth and it's going to rock you to the core and you're going to doubt your faith. You're going to doubt who God is. But if you're in the word, if you're praying, being led by the spirit, he's building that up for you. The adversary comes at you when you're tired, you're hungry, you're distracted, you're vulnerable, you're lazy, you're overworked, overlooked, and overbooked. Be sober-minded and be alert. To be alert means to not be lazy. Be proactive. It's not like you're taking the fight to the enemy, but you are. 
uh, to be sober-minded and to be alert is like walking hand-in-hand with our Father. You see, because when the enemy comes at us and we're sober-minded and we're alert, we're hand-in-hand with our Father. uh, Hattie is uh, 11 and she's playing peewee basketball and we've discovered a little bit of a rivalry between Strawn and Lingleville. And uh, it's fifth and sixth grade peewee. And so you can imagine the rivalry, how strong it is. And uh, yesterday, the, the a girl from the other team was talking some smack before the game. And uh, Hattie just boldly said something. She's like, I know what I'm going to do. And the coach was like, hey, just calm down. And she's like, no, I'm going to go tell my dad. My dad said that if anybody messes with me, I can tell him and he'll take care of them. <laughs> I was like, well... A 10-year-old girl, I probably can't do that, babe, but uh, we'll send somebody else after her, you know? But, <laughs> but isn't that the truth? But to have that mindset, to have the mindset of a son and a daughter that goes, hey, it's okay. If you're gonna mess with me, I'll just tell my dad. My dad will take care of him. Isn't that the same way with the father? When, when we're sober, when we're alert, when we're walking hand in hand with our father, It's like, what did you call me? Oh, it's okay. I'll just tell my dad. He'll take care of you. That's what it means to be sober-minded, to be alert, to be vigilant, to be on guard, to not be lazy. Can I say that there's so many books written about how to spend time in God's word. There's so many books written on this and that and all that, but it's really simple. Just open up the word, read it. Open up your phone and read it. Don't be lazy. It's never a time issue. Have we noticed that? We, we always want, Jeff always wants there to be more than 24 hours in a day because there's just not enough time. And it's just not true. There's just not enough time for me to do what I want to do. It's never an issue of time. It's an issue of desire and passion and want to. I know some of y'all get up much earlier than I do. But you can still get up 10 minutes early, 15 minutes earlier, 30 minutes earlier. You can go to bed later. You, you can choose to not have a hobby. My hobby is playing Fortnite. I could choose to not play that. That would free up a couple of hours a day. You know, like, I mean, if you just think, it's not a, it's not a time issue. It's a desire and a passion issue. We make time for what we want. Brady, how, how do you say it? We, we, long, we linger what we long for, right? We linger what we long for. We, we hang out for what we desire. We, we put other things aside for what we desire and what we long for. Be sober-minded, be alert. The second one comes right out of 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. That's the first one. Be sober-minded, be alert. Then the next one, it says, Your adversary, the devil, is prowling, prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. The key words right there is, like a lion. C.S. Lewis wrote a book. Uh, y'all probably know who C.S. Lewis is. Uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. The last one in that series is called The Last Battle. And uh, the last battle kind of centers around Aslan is the lion, you know, the King Aslan. He's been away for a little while. And then there's two characters that come along and one is an ape 
named Shift, and one is a donkey named Puzzle. And uh, Shift is the ape, he's clever. Puzzle is the donkey, and really he's just more of the servant to shift. And so they're, they're sitting around one day. There is no Aslan. King Aslan is gone. So Narnia has kind of been left to its own. And uh, all of a sudden, shift, the ape sees a, a lion pelt car, a carcass down in a river. And he says, hey, puzzle, why don't you go down there and get that? You know, because ape, the ape didn't want to go and get it. Shift didn't want to go and get it. So he convinces Puzzle to go down there, get the lion carcass, the, the lion pelt, and he convinces him to put the lion pelt on. Now, now, Puzzle is a donkey, but he puts the lion pelt on, and from a distance, because no one has seen Aslan for a while, from a distance, he looks like Aslan. And so you have Shift, the ape who is clever, puzzled the donkey wearing the lion pelt and goes, okay, we, we can do this. We, we, can, we can make this work in our favor. And so all of a sudden, Shift, the ape, the, the clever one, starts to use it to his advantage. And, and he makes, uh, you know, he makes puzzle the donkey and the lion pelt go around and do things and command things from, from people. And they go and get... Uh, shift his favorite nuts and they go get the oranges and bananas and all of that for him. And because King Aslan says it, right? Because King Aslan, they see him from a distance and shift is kind of communicating in between for them so that they don't see that it's really a donkey. And, and it works for quite a while. They, they actually turn them into slaves and make them work for them. And, and there's a whole deal about it. But all of a sudden they get found out and the game is up. Because you see that that puzzle was not a lion. He was like a lion. He was an imposter. And can I tell you that our adversary prowls around like a lion. He is not the lion. There's only one lion of Judah. If we're going to withstand temptation, we have to begin to view the enemy, our adversary, as like a lion. Sure, his roar is loud sometimes. But he's like a lion. He is defeated. There is only one lion of Judah. The, our second step is to realize that adversary is an imposter. He is a liar. He is not a lion. He is defeated. We give the adversary way more credit than he deserves. I, we talked about it last week that, that we are in a spiritual war, but can I tell you, this is not a spiritual war that, that is called, there's a, a worldview of dualism where it's two equal forces, but opposite, good versus evil, battling it out in, the, in this cosmic battle that's happening all around us. And this dualism is completely false. This is not dualism. Our adversary is not equal to God. This is total domination. We give the enemy way too much credit for what, than what he deserves. He is defeated. He has no power over us any longer. It says, and we, we shared this from the story last week, it says that those that are with us outnumber those that are against us, or, or that are with us. Those that are with us outnumber those that are against us. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. The enemy is defeated. If we are going to stand firm in our temptation, then what we have to do is we have to remind him of his defeat. 
It's simple. When he comes at us with a temptation to try to get us to be like him, to be fallen, to be unworthy, we just say no. We see him for what he is. And how do we do that? By knowing the truth. He is an imposter. He prowls around like a lion, but he is not a lion. Do not give the enemy any more credit than what he deserves. He is defeated. It says that our Lord held him up to public ridicule in Colossians 2.15, that he held him up to public ridicule, that, that even though Jesus was the one on the cross, the enemy was the one being shamed, and he was defeated. The enemy, it almost seems like you're not even allowed to say this, but the enemy is puny. He is a runt. He is worthless. He is no good. He has no power over me. Like it, it's almost like, oh, wait a minute. What are you going to say? Now he's going to come after you. He is defeated. All I have to do, if I'm going to stand firm in my tempta against temptation, then all I have to do is remind him that he's defeated. He can't touch me because he is defeated. We're going to keep going. The, the third one comes out of Verse number nine, after it says that he roams around like a roaring lion looking for someone he can devour, it says, resist him, firm in the faith. You see, before you are a Christ follower, you are a slave to sin. I mean, there, there's just no hope. Sure, maybe through some willpower, self-determination, uh, diet plan, exercise plan, whatever, you can get avoid some temptations, but you are a slave to sin. Sin has complete power and rule over you before you are a Christ follower. But now as Christ followers, we are slaves to nothing. We are sons and daughters of God. You see that, that before we had no choice because we were a slave to sin. Sin was our master. We did what it said to please it. But now as Christ followers, we're not slaves to it anymore. Now it's a choice. And this is, this is where maybe we don't enjoy it as much. But now, before we had an excuse, now there is no excuse. Now the sins that I make are a choice. Because sin has no power over me anymore. The, the Dr. Peppers, the amount of Dr. Peppers that I choose to drink or the way that I speak to my wife is a choice that I make. Now, it might be a subconscious choice. I might not be realizing what I'm doing, but it's still a choice that we make. Before, we couldn't help it, but now. So the third one is to resist him. I'm gonna read out of Romans chapter six. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it. It's Romans chapter six, verses five through 11. It says, for if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. Since a person who has died is free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him because we know that Christ having been raised from the dead will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all time. But the life he lives, he lives for God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We are dead to sin. 
It has no power over us. That, that it, I love how it says, right? Since a, since a person who has died is free from sin. So we have shared in his death, but we also share in his resurrection. If we shared in his death, then we share in his resurrection because sin has no power over us anymore. It's, it's simple. You, you want me to tell you how you fight every temptation that comes your way? The enemy comes, he's clever, it says that he's sly. So the, but you ready? This is a trick. It works every time. No. No. You pick up a Dr. Pepper? No. The words are about to come out of your mouth to speak to your wife, your kids a certain way? Say no. It, it's that simple. Now, is it easy? No. <laughs> 10 Dr. Peppers later. No, it's not that easy. But it is that simple. It is a choice that you and I make. We are free from the power of sin. We are free from, from death. And now it's a simple conscious choice where we say no. We must resist temptation. Luke chapter 22, verses 44, Jesus is in the garden before he's handed over to the soldiers for suffering and death. And you know, it says that he was in such anguish that he sweated drops of blood. He was in anguish because at that moment he could have stopped it. But he knew he couldn't. I've resisted Dr. Pepper pretty heavily, but never to the point of sweating drops of blood. I've resisted looking at inappropriate images pretty staunchly, but never to the point of sweating drops of blood. Paul says it in Hebrews 12, 4, maybe not so nice. He's like, what are y'all, have you like stopped? Have you strived to sin even to sweating drops of blood? Like pull, pull yourself up, do better. If you haven't resisted to the point of sweating drops of blood, then you haven't tried hard enough. And that might sound harsh and cruel, but it's just the simple fact. It says that Jesus was tempted in every way that you and I were tempted, yet he was without sin. It is absolutely possible to not give in to those temptations. It's a simple choice, a simple word that says no. But God is so gracious that no matter what temptation you face, it says that he always provides a way out. It says that, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. He always provides a way out. When you're in temptation, and you're struggling, whatever it, whatever it is, whatever area you struggle with, you all have your own. Look for the way out. There's always an exit door. But can I caution you? The exit door gets smaller the, the longer you flirt with temptation. There's always an exit door, even to the point, millisecond before you give in to temptation, there's always a way out. It's just more difficult, more costly, and harder to find. But there's always a way out. Every temptation that you face, God has already provided a way out for you. So you are dead to sin, but you are not powerless 
to sin. You are not powerless against sin. You have everything that you need to fight sin and to fight temptation. Can I encourage you with this? We're going to end with a couple of things. Can I encourage you this way? First Peter, sorry, I lost my bookmark down there. First Peter 5, verse 10. Can I encourage you that maybe you're in the middle of temptation or maybe this is something that you just need to put in, in, in the bank that when you, when you go to fight temptation or it comes against you, you have this verse memorized, written on your mirror, hanging up somewhere in your office. But it says that the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. In the middle of suffering... At the end of suffering, he restores, he establishes you, he strengthens you, and he supports you. He says that he never leaves us, he never forsakes us. Even in the middle of temptation, he's still there. And he is there to restore, to establish, to strengthen, and to support you. And here's my my challenge to you today as we wrap up the message. If you're going to fight temptation this week, be sober-minded, be alert. Can you take today and come up with a time where you can get alone with God? Be sober-minded, be alert. Take time today to come up with a time and a place that you can get alone with God so that you can be alert, you can be active, you can be on guard, not waiting for the fight to come to you, but you're taking the fight to the enemy. Number two, don't let the imposter trick you. The enemy is a liar. It says that every word that comes out of his mouth is a lie that he's been lying from the beginning. The enemy is a liar. Do not believe the lies. The first step will help you with the second step because as you spend time in his word, you get to know the truth and you get to recognize the lies a lot more easier. Number three, Jesus Christ himself is interceding on you, on your behalf before the Father. That should be an encouragement, right? The enemy is a liar, and it says that he he is accusing us before God day and night, but that Jesus is interceding on our behalf. He's going before the Father. You know, he might, the, the enemy is saying, Richard, that sorry dog, Man, look at what he did here. You let him talk about you that way, God? And Jesus is on the other side going, man, that Richard, I died for him. He's precious in my sight. He's a royal priesthood. He's the prized possession. And he's praying and he's interceding on, on our behalf all day, every day. Resist. The third commitment for you this week is to resist, to just say no. The way that it helps me is to remember that the stakes are much bigger than just me. My battle is not just my battle. The enemy wants you to think that it's just your battle, that you're alone, that no one else will understand it. You can't confess that. You can't do that. It's a lie. Resist him, say no. This also comes from 1 Peter 5, 9. It says, 
Resist him firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. The enemy will tell you that you're all by yourself, that no one else struggles with this. But the same sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers in Christ. You're not alone. Resist him. The simple word is no. You might have to say it a thousand times to yourself, to the enemy, to the Dr. Pepper can. But it's that simple. It's no. So, Father, we love you. We thank you for today. Pray that you would continue to lead us and guide us in your word and in your truth. Pray over these people today. Father, pray that, that something that I said through you that, that would just spark something in their lives. Father, a passion, a desire for your word. Father, that it would just spark the desire to say no, to not keep giving in to the enemy. Father, give us the eyes to see the enemy for who he is. Let us not believe the lies, but let us be lovers of the truth. Let us want to know the truth and let the truth set us free. So, Father, we pray over them today as they leave here today. We love you. We love you. Amen.